Each generation, through its trials and its triumphs, valleys and plateaus, provides a trove of lessons for the generations that follow them. The fight for equity is endless, always requiring us to innovate and preserve simultaneously. We advance by building on the work of those who've gone before us, and many of them are still among us to put us on game. Gen Activist is an intergenerational podcast presented by Rosa Rebellion, a platform for creative activism by and for women of color. We are setting a table for intergenerational dialogue and collective disruption. Imagine it as a historical digital archive remastered for contemporary use and permanent preservation. These are our stories told by us for us. So get hype for your co-hosts. Rosa Rebellion co-founders Virginia Cumberbatch, myself, Megan Harding, and the matriarch of Virginia's maternal family and the anchor of this podcast, someone we affectionately call G-Mom, Dr. Sylvia Russo. Gen activist, yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to another episode of the Gen Activist Podcast, everyone. We're super excited to invite you into another intergenerational conversation. And this conversation is actually one that we had the day after the inauguration on January 20th. Yeah, so if you guys just take a trip down memory lane with us, in the month of January, we saw an insurrection on the 6th, we saw an impeachment trial on the 13th, and then we had the inauguration on the 20th. And so Megan, myself, and Gia Mom, um, were having all of these feelings, complex feelings, and we think we all had this collective desire to just press pause on all the complicated feelings and really try to invite um, this idea of joy and hope even the midst of uncertainty. Um, and so we jumped on a call the day after, 24 hours after um, inaugurating the first woman and the first woman of color into the pres vice presidency. And we hope that this episode takes you back to that moment and perhaps we can utilize it as a way to move us forward. And with this episode, you're getting your first introduction to a new segment and a shorter version of the Gen Activist podcast episodes that we're calling the reprise. And in these episodes, we will be talking about maybe events or me, G Mom and Virginia will be talking about the end of an episode or a guest that we just had and what stood out to us. In the black church tradition, the reprise is often a time where someone might come up and sing a song that has just finished, and, but they put their own spin on it. Um, and in the theater tradition, maybe someone reprises their role in something. And so that's what this is. We're really excited to introduce this to you and we are dropping you into the middle of a conversation that we were having and we just pressed record. Check it out. Take a moment and thank God for we've come this far, but then get up and gear up uh, because, uh, you know, as some are calling for normalcy, no, we don't. We want a new normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. Except all the good that has brought us to this point, but this isn't the normalcy we seek. 74 million people still voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, um, like I said, Megan and I talked a lot about that yesterday, just yeah. um, that it's necessary like for us to create space for, I think part of rest can be just experiencing joy. Like it, we can't continue mm -hmm. to feel the ongoing trauma exactly. all, all the time. We can't feel that pain all the time because I think it makes us numb and then mm -hmm. not as effective. 
And so yeah. the power and just taking a moment to really acknowledge um, yeah, what it. yesterday represented was as a chipping away of the oppression and a chipping away of um, the historical travesties of being black and brown and indigenous in this country. And also recognizing the connection, right, between history, connection between this generation, like Monday, it was interesting because I, I got the chance to speak at my alma mater or my high school alma mater. And it was really surreal to be in this chapel that formed so much of my language and understanding of the world at the time. Um, while I was also experiencing like microaggressions and experiencing the ways that systems and institutions weren't built for me. But then to be a part of disrupting that 15, 18 years later and hearing the voices of the current students use this language that I don't think I had at the time, right? To talk about their, their life and then to recognize what yesterday represented, which is that the descendants of slaves in the White House and a woman, not just a woman, a black woman, not just a black woman, but an Asian woman. And to see like her great nieces, you know, run around the White House as if it's, it's they had every right to be there. Um, mm -hmm. It's like those moments and memories, I think will carry us in the trenches that start today, tomorrow, next week, and for the years to come. Well, they strengthen us, I agree. They strengthen us to know that there is merit in the struggle and that progress has been made. Uh, and we always look back to that hymn, uh, Yield Not to Temptation, where it says, each victory will help you some other to win. So we've won some victories and we shouldn't discount those. And we should, um, it's a time to be grateful for those who stood for us and for God's grace. But freedom and liberty are always evolving. Uh, even what they, those words mean begin to change. There's an eternal meaning to them, but in the context of our existential context of our lives, um, they change. So who would have thought uh, that the struggle for freedom and justice in the existential moment would have been manifest on January 6th mm. in the takeover. So there are, it, 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 injustice morphs. I, I think that's what it does. It yeah. morphs. Yeah. And so the struggle, and thank mm. God that those young people you, encountered yesterday uh, were part of the evolution. So they're not there, but they can be a part of the struggle uh, because the context they're creating is different. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I wonder what will be the lasting impact. Um, I think, you know, we always knew right that that oppression was real systemic oppression was real there were people who you know held hate in their hearts and 
um, that built the systems that thought it was okay to oppress us. But I am concerned about uh, this inflection point and what the lasting kind of repercussions will be because now um, we have a whole generation that I think will need to be spurred towards imagination again. Um, you know, white supremacy steals our imagination. You know, it tries to. So they'll need to be spurred towards imagination again, hope again, not let apathy sit, sit in. Mm -hmm. We just believe that nothing's possible. So, yeah. Not just, I think, you know, um, it's, you know, we talk a lot about the ways in which racial trauma impacts us. And for a lot of us, it's been so normalized, right? That we like literally hold it in our bodies. Like, you, you know, one of the programs we run, Rebel and Rest, is around the impact, helping to dismantle the impact of racial trauma on our bodies and minds. And to Megan's point, there is a fear about not just apathy, but like the ways in which trauma paralyzes you, right? Which isn't always conscious or intentional. But seeing after the work that Gen Z did, right, around the election, and then month later, an insurrection at the, the White House, and seeing the treatment of white bodies in, quote, white spaces, versus the ways in which Black and brown bodies are policed on a daily, and not just by the authority of police, but just by the white gaze, and it just, there is this sense of like, how do we reinvigorate people um, beyond yesterday? How do we make sure? And I think that's one of the powers of a space like this that we're trying to create in Gen Activists is that you, G-Mom, have lived through all of these iterations of oppression and supremacy. And you've also lived through all these different moments and movements that keep having to reinvent themselves be more creative, be disruptive in different avenues. And there is such power in relying on and seeing the precedent that your generation has created and saying, okay, we rest and then we rise again, right? And knowing that it's, it's a part of our purpose in this lifetime. And I think, you know, to Megan's point, that generation that has bared witness to these last few years and their most formative years need to have connections with some of the voices that have seen this happen from the earliest 20th century all the way to yesterday. Yes, uh, and to both of your points, um, so I am old, but I haven't seen all of the oppression. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I'm saying that to make a point. I didn't personally experience it, but thank God for the stories of my ancestors who made me experience it vicariously, who planted it in me so that it is, um, it is part of my DNA. Julie's work builds a lot on this concept of epigenetics. Uh, so that it does, it gets into us, etc. But what got into me, and I'm sure, I'm sure I have experienced some of the traumas, microaggressions, microaggressions, systemic oppressions of this nation. I know I have. Uh, and I know that I bear 
a great deal of it in my body, in my mind, in my psyche, in the way I parented, in the way I approach my work. But equally important is that part that's in my DNA fed by the lives of my ancestors and the stories they planted in me early. You know, I may have shared with you very similar to this. Dinner time in my household or dinner or gatherings of my extended family always at some point ended up speaking about the oppressions we were experiencing, but there was always a note to those discussions that I think fed me. It was a note in which they shared how they had resisted it. Even in tiny microwaves, there was this spirit of resistance, non-acceptance. I'm more than that. I'm, I, am, I am not worthy of this. I'm worthy of so much more and I have the capacity to create more. So I may have shared with you the story of Aunt Mag, who is really your great grandmother, who, um, who um, shared uh, little things she did at a bus stop when a white man pushed her aside to let a white woman get on the bus ahead of her in the rain. And I don't know what there is in her. <laughs> Maybe it's the trauma, the mixture of trauma and courage and trauma and overcoming that made her stop at that man's seat and frail him with her umbrella. <laughs> so enraged. <laughs> when she finally got on, he got her little moment of justice right there. Just a moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for us, we, uh, like another version of that, right? Like we talk a lot about how Black people, people of color sometimes are trained to make space for white people and whiteness. Um, mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, it's not as recent as some people are making it to be, but certainly more modern um, ways that, that we're trying to combat that is just to take up space, you know, unapologetically, um, yes. whether that's at work in a meeting or, yes. you know, not yes. choosing to give up your space on the sidewalk. It, it, there were times mm -hmm. I tried it out as like an experiment to see if it was true. Mm -hmm. But like, seriously, if you're walking on a sidewalk or you're walking on a trail, and mm -hmm. a white person mm -hmm. is passing you it's really funny because i would notice that like they would not move a, a mm -hmm. lot of times true, and true. and i instinct instinctively with would move you know and so mm -hmm. i started mm -hmm. to just just hold my space you know and it's mm -hmm. small and it's you know maybe it's petty i don't know but it's <laughs> it's a little bit it's a little bit of, of taking back some of that power saying, I belong in this world. I can take up space in this world the same Absolutely. way, you know, that you can. And, mm -hmm. you know, also white folk have to learn to um, seed space and seed Absolutely. power. And, and, you know, I think that some of that will come through us um, reclaiming our space unapologetically and reclaiming right. stories connected to, if you think about that, you know, there, there's all these different um, dimensions in which we can take up space, right? We've been taught, and as Megan just pointed out, in our physical space a lot of times to, um, to give up 
that sidewalk or to give up that seat or just to cower a little bit in the presence mm -hmm. of whiteness mm -hmm. in a way when you walk into a room and you become a little less um, visible, a little less bold. It, when we are in our workspaces and places, right, and our voice, sometimes we, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want that to come off as, you know, me being brash or me being too bold or too loud, right? And so we even, you know, we talk about this, you know, all the time with my Black friends, with my Latinx friends, Asian friends, that we've got even two different voices that we use, right? When we're in the workplace or on the phone versus yeah. when we're in spaces of comfort. Um, because it's, we've either unconsciously been taught, right, that our literal and um, like metaphoric voice right in its authentic nature is not suitable for certain spaces and then i think about reclaiming and taking up space in our store of our stories in the larger cultural landscape of america um that we repeatedly you know i think about some movies like the help which was quote our story but at the end of the day the heroes and the main voice and the narrator of the film right, is this white woman and what she did for these black women, right? And one of the, the most powerful moments for me last yesterday was hearing from Amanda, um, Amanda uh, Gorman, Gorman, the poet, and how she, I, I posted on Instagram this morning that just with her, her smile and her jacket, that to me she represented literal and literary sunshine. And to know that she was wearing the earrings once worn by Maya Angelou that were given to her by Oprah, there was all these connections. And she was taking up space at 22 years old on the, mon you know, standing on monuments that are supposed to represent democracy in America, but really document sort of whiteness, right? Even though she's standing on land stolen from indigenous people, built on by black hands and, and bodies. There was something that felt like this act of reclaiming and her standing up there and sharing these words, this, this poetry, this art. And um, I think that's something that feels so innate uh, to Megan and I and the work of Rose Rebellion is like, how can we take up space as women of color? Well, part of what you describe is a double-edged sword. It's part of the double consciousness that W.E.B. described. So on the one hand, we do use, let's say, a different language. Uh, we're in the presence of uh, what people perceive to be power, uh, et, et cetera. But that's a double-edged sword. Um, and I, I do this a lot in training teachers about helping students uh, retain their first language, which is Ebonics, but at the same time, um, develop proficiency in the language of the enemy or of the oppressor. Because that little girl has taken that language with her black experience and used it in powerful ways um, it's the dilemma that the poets in the Harlem Renaissance had. Do I write for, uh, do I observe the conventions of white literature or do I create my own? 
um, it's sort of jazz. It's sort of, uh, I'm aware, I'm aware of both of these and I can wield both of these languages to express who I am and have a kind of power with those who would oppress me using their very language to instruct them about who I am. Paul Lawrence Dunbar, I keep telling you, that's one of my favorite poets. He was earlier, <laughs> earlier than the Renaissance. But Paul Lawrence Dunbar could write poems like uh, uh, In the Morning, in just our Ebonics, our language, the language our people created out of chaos and a way to communicate with one another. And that language resonates with us. But on the other hand, he could write a poem like, we wear the mask and um, I know why the cage bird sings. In flawless standardized, there's no such thing as a standard English, but standard English that has been standardized by the, those who have power. And he could wield it in such a way. I mean, that's how we got Maya, the title of Maya Angelou's uh, book, Cage Bird. Really interesting, Grandma, because I, you know, Megan and I were in so many group texts yesterday, just like mostly just sending memes to one another, memes and gifts and jokes. <laughs> and it was a way to like really make sure we stayed in the moment of joy. And just as you're talking about, you know, the double-edged sword, I think what's interesting about this idea of taking up space, one of the best moments for us was watching Michelle... Obama. Yeah. <laughs> into the inauguration, dripping, she... dripping, dripping in a monochromatic look like, like, who's gonna check me, boo? Like, <laughs> the amount of tweets that were about, like, her edges laid, her waist snatched, and, yeah. you know, there was this tweet. <laughs> about like Michelle, uh, former president, uh, former first lady, Michelle Obama and her she husband. Slayed it. <laughs> she slayed the someone, moment. someone like tweeted Barack and there something like you got a good girl, bruh. And it went viral just because no one talks to Barack like that. But also I loved it. Right. Like that is who we, who uh, we are. And just like telling them. Yeah. yeah. That moment was just, and the jewel tones and just, you know, everyone, um, looked amazing but certainly getting to see Michelle Obama take up that kind of space and really just uh and, and upstage everyone she basked in it yeah and the thing about it she didn't she could have had the same of effect perhaps wearing African garb but she took the styles the fashions that America loves and expects to see in white women and wielded it like a, like a sword. <laughs> like a yeah. Shoot. Of, oh yeah. Even in y'all's clothes, this is how good I look. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, was, it was it amazing. Was day for, I feel like even down to like their extended family, it felt like folks showed up as they were right mm -hmm. rather than what was expected of them necessarily mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. unapologetically 
walked in kind mm-hmm. of, almost like someone I know Megan and I were joking about this tweet someone's like who's got the the holy oil and the sage because we need to be girl that I was worried about that for like a week I was like who is going to cleanse <clears throat> the White House because you can't just I was like listen Biden mm-hmm. can't just roll in there right like we, uh-uh. we have to deep cleanse we need to anoint these posts <laughs> like, right. wanna, right. we don't know what kind of spirits I know. Like, I know. Call on one of the church ushers, one of those church mothers, to come in there with the anointing <laughs> oil, just pour it all over the place. Oh yeah. It, oh yeah. It felt like a lot of the women that were there yesterday, you know, from obviously First Lady, former First Lady Michelle Obama, and you know our now Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, but like also some of the, you know, congressmen and senators and, and aides, there was a congresswoman, um, and the capital policeman, exactly. And his Gucci scarf, people are like, it was a photo of him. They're like where it started, where it is now, it was like him in his uniform versus a Gucci scarf. a woman in like full indigenous regalia. And it felt like a, this opportunity to just show up and take up space. And I, I think, you know, that is just, it It felt affirming, you know, and maybe hopefully um, a little bit of a marker of what will 2021 look like? What will the next 10 years look like for us to take up space? I think it was the beginning of imagining for all of America, of all races. Oh, this is the new America. Now, it's not going to come to us on a silver platter, and it's not going to be easily won. But those images are powerful. Those images. Can you imagine a generation of children now growing up with those images? Images are, I mean, our oppressors use images to demean us and to make us seem like less than human and to something vile or depraved or lacking in us. But those images, it's even in the advertising world, it's in the movie industry, the images are changing. The, uh, and so it's a look, look, America, this is what you're going to look like. And we will be we will be compassionate, we will be understanding, but we will refuse to return to the status you tried to assign us. So it's these ask for G Mom. Yes. I'm like, hello, we refuse. (laughs) Make my own status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I also love J Lo's part. You know, I I the the song was questionable. We there's a lot of um you know, question around why they sung that song and and Mm -hmm. certainly they should have acknowledged, you know, indigenous people and the land that they were on. But Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I was talking to a friend um who is Latina and when J Lo was speaking um, in Spanish, she said her little girls turned to her and said, mommy, she speaks Spanish too. They're speaking Spanish at the inauguration. And just what a big moment, you know, that was um, for, for them. And so I think that it was um, important that there was diversity there that wasn't just window dressing, 
you know, mm-hmm. that there was um, an intentional effort to repudiate everything yes. that the past administration had yes. been, right? It yes. was very, very intentional to even the person doing the pledge and, and signing at the same time. <laughs> you know, all the little <laughs> things that are big things, you know, mm-hmm. to make sure that um, everyone knows that this is their America, you know? So that was um, really beautiful to see even, you know, I know they missed the mark in, in some ways, but um, it was it was nice. Like it was refreshing. I was like, okay, like I can exhale a little bit. Yeah. Would have even there was some discussion about you know how she also inserted a little bit from a song that she she um, is on her album. But I think context was necessary for that because people are like, oh my gosh, J Lo, you don't have the right to come in here with your pop songs and insert it into an American, you know, <laughs> lyrics. But her, the song she that she inserted, the the line Get Loud was used around her own political work mm-hmm. around the election to tell people mm-hmm. to get loud. Get yeah. loud about what you're get seeing loud. in the country. Right. Get loud about what you know to be wrong. Get loud with your vote. So yes, I understand the idea mm-hmm. of like who gave you permission to disrupt tradition? But to Megan's point, I think it also symbolizes this thing like, hey, tradition has been a proxy and a way for us to mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. Um, in our places side of oppro- oppression. Like tradition, right. the tradition mm-hmm. is in the status quo is whiteness and white supremacy. Tradition mm-hmm. is in itself oppressive, and so. I thought it was. They just need to get familiar. We will be disrupting all traditions. Thank they you. need to get familiar. All, all of it is getting torn down. We're done. Exactly. So I thought it would make this small but very poignant way of taking up space, right, and being disruptive. I, I have to confess that I would have loved to have heard a little ebonics there. <laughs> it's taken up space because it is the language that has brought us to where we are. It is the language that our people created out of, of, of their traditions that had to be expressed through new languages. They created themselves a language. So I just would love to have had a touch of Ebonics in that ceremony, just as a symbol that uh, we're not leaving. As we claim this space, we're not leaving our traditions behind. Because they have brought us to this moment. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll just share one anecdote that really I think helped set the tone for me yesterday. Because I think I was struggling with like what route I was going to take, which is like, this is all ceremonious and we've got work to do. Versus like this is this is a moment to enjoy mm-hmm. and a moment to to bask in. And yes. started at seven thirty a.m. when one of my really good friends. Um, that I've known since seventh grade, who now has a eleventh uh, month old daughter, and this friend of mine um, is Indian, Indian American, and so is her her daughter as well. And she sent me this photo of her eleventh month old daughter reading the book that Mina Harris, the niece of our now vice president, and the book is called uh, Kamala and Maya, and it's a story of them growing up. And so here was her 11th month old daughter reading this book about, you know, what we affectionately called an auntie, A-U-N-T-Y. 
and what we as black people affectionately called auntie a-u-n-t-i-e and it was just this moment like me considering my friends kids like my nieces and nephews and so it was like an auntie watching this mm -hmm. little girl not quite understanding yet that she has an auntie and an auntie that's about to occupy the white house and i mean when you just talk about that generational power and there was this um this meme that went kind of viral yesterday which was like um the work you you may not always see the work you do right or you may not always see the fruits of the of your labor um, or you may not be able to celebrate your work. And it was a photo of Shirley Chisholm next to oh, Vice President absolutely. Harris. Absolutely. And it's just like those juxtapositions, you know, it's, just, yes. it's, it's interesting for me to start to think about generations because I think I'm just now coming into that space where I'm like, oh, I'm not the young one in the room necessarily. <laughs> so to see this little girl who's yeah. so close to me in my own life space and then think about those pictures of a Shirley Chisholm right oh, yeah. and a patsy mink right they didn't get to see this come to fruition but they oh, yes. they planted yes. those seeds it, it reminds me of something your grandfather would say to me as we often struggled in our work that um he said still i didn't like this moment these moments when he would say this but i live with them and appreciate them now he would say, so we may not live to see the fruit of our labor. I want to see the fruit of my labor. What do you mean? Uh, but what you just said, Virginia, in referring to a Shirley Chisholm, she didn't live to see fully the fruit of her, but she left this world knowing she had left a legacy behind her. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we do in each generation. And it pulls us out of our selfishness and our self-serving motives when we realize you may not see the fruit of this, yep. but you're planting a seed for the generation that comes behind you. For sure. Well, um, we wanted to just kind of have create space for us to talk through yesterday and what it meant. And we think that this conversation needs to continue beyond today, beyond the feelings of today and beyond the feelings of this week. We need to hold on to what we felt over the past, you know, 24 hours um, so that we take it into our daily practices, our daily work of disruption and resistance. And um, I think more than ever, we also need to recognize the power of co-laboring amongst our generations. Um, yes. You know, I, I think back to, this summer when we lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg and mm -hmm. John Lewis, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are truly taking in to this next year, their work, their labor mm -hmm. and their joys. Yes. Um, and yes. I, I hope that we continue to acknowledge that that's what we're doing, that we, we don't do this in a vacuum and we don't do it detached from those voices. Mm -hmm. And so let's continue this work from a place of joy and hope. Check out these words of wisdom from G-Mom. Now, when we talk about epigenetics, we talk about our DNA, we talk about what the imprints are. Those are imprints too. And thank God you, as I hear you talk about your family, Megan, and you, Virginia, as I, um, obviously we share the same family. Those, um, 
we we wouldn't be able to resist the way we do if the imprint of resistance pride uh i am what i am you know invisible man i am what i am uh, if those imprints weren't on us as well to mitigate the traumas that our people and we ourselves have experienced.